are listening to the Batflip Podcast, a baseball podcast from Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Damian and Matt. Welcome back, everyone, to the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damian here with my co-host, Matt. We are coming to you on August 31st of 2021. We're going to bring the uh, the division breakdown back, get you kind of a, you know in where the playoff races are and, and the division standings going into the month of September right before rosters expand and we get down to the really crunch time of like 30 games left. Um, we're going to fill you in on the series that we highlighted last week and, and how those went. Look forward to a couple big series that we have going on this weekend um, and then we'll jump to players of the week. But before we jump into all that, let's bring in Matt. How you doing? Doing pretty good. Uh, had a pretty good week so far. I'm just, uh, you know, I want to extend my well wishes out to all the folks on the oh, down on the uh down on the gulf coast where the terrible hurricane came through this week and uh you know we've been getting a lot of rain up here in central alabama from that but obviously nowhere near what happened on the coast so uh, you know a uh, rough week down there and hope everyone's hope everyone's uh you know if someone comes across us from that area you know i hope they hope they're uh hope they're safe and you know hope everyone's families are safe down there so definitely a bad situation but um but yeah and uh you know just in my neck of the woods it's been pretty good uh college football starting i'll be down in auburn this weekend at the first football game so that'll be fun and uh it's uh it's gonna be fun coming up exciting stuff yeah absolutely with the uh definitely our prayers to everybody down there in the gulf coast um it's a scary situation i've been keeping up on and just you know not so much about what like, uh, do I don't know everything that's happening there, but just from the the media outlets and stuff, it's it seems pretty damn scary. And I'm so thankful that I don't have to deal with any of that stuff. But uh, who's who's Auburn playing this weekend? They've got Akron this weekend, so it's a pretty good tune up game. And uh, we don't play a real big game for for the first two weeks. The third week we play at Penn State, so that'll be the first real big game. Nice. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I'm excited for some college football to come back. It's uh, I think the best football we got. Yeah, you should go see uh, uh, LSU play. They play at uh, UCLA this weekend. So, yeah, not this weekend. <laughs> I got some stuff going on this weekend. I but... hear you. Well, let's jump into this division breakdown. Um, we'll start in the AL East, where we got the Tampa Bay Rays leading this division by seven games over the New York Yankees, who have now overtaken that second spot from the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, so uh, AL East, uh, you know, somehow Tampa Bay is just keeps winning and honestly winning by a lot. <laughs> Yesterday, I think they won six to one against the Red Sox. Today, they're winning seven to one. Last last check, um, you know, and then rest, you know, they got two more games against the Red Sox as well. But I mean, that team, you know, it's just got a lot of good pieces. Brandon Lau's playing like Brandon Lau did last year. Uh, ever since the start of June, he's been incredible. Wander Franco has been as advertised, if not better. Um, I was, we were just talking before the show that I don't think either one of us realized until, you know, hearing something that he has a 30 uh, game on base streak, which is pretty incredible rookie. And, uh, you know, he's cut his strikeout rate under 15%. I mean, he is, he's the real deal. I mean, he's showing a little bit of power and he's played a good shortstop. So, um, you know, what a, what a fantastic, um, you know, what a fantastic, uh, what a fantastic job by Wander Franco and, and the Rays in general. They're just doing what they do. Uh, good starting pitching, good bullpen work, kind of a, you know, a, a whole like, you know, a whole committee approach to pitching. And, um, 
you know, even without their best, even without their best uh, pitcher out there, Tyler Glass now, I mean, they've just been able to keep it going. So impressive stuff there. Yeah, you can even make the case that they're probably without their best two pitchers. You know, we forget a lot that Yanni Chirinos isn't pitching for them this year um, and that he's on, he underwent Tommy John last year. Um, and that's on top of trading Blake Snell and, and Charlie Morton, which we've talked a lot about so far this season. But the the Rays just find a way, and it's it's pretty dang shocking. Especially you know this Wander Franco thirty base on game or thirty game on base streak. I didn't realize it until just a couple days ago that he had this streak. Um, and then looking at it, he's just twenty years old. Like we knew he was going to be good, but I didn't think he was going to be like this good already. Like it and just the room that he has to grow still. It's absolutely insane. Yeah, he's one of those guys that his plate discipline's already there. He's just going to grow into a little bit more power. So he'd be, I think he's going to end up being like, like if Juan Soto played shortstop. Like that's <laughs> the kind of player that you could see Wander Franco end up being, which is absolutely I mean, scary. Yeah, that's scary. So, yeah. um, you know, good for the Rays. Um, you look down in this division, and, and this is that that one division in the American League where there's really four good teams. The Orioles, let's briefly mention, they had an 18-game losing streak, I think is what it ended at. So uh, that, which was almost historic, I believe the record is 23. So they got close to the record, but then they beat the Angels. Ironically, they beat Shohei Otani uh, on the mound, which is interesting that after all those losses in a row, they were able to beat Shohei. But, um, you know, the Orioles had that long losing streak in there. Historic, obviously, they're in rebuild mode, so they probably don't even care. But um, but then you got the three teams battling in the wild card. I mean, seven games back for the Yankees right now, probably insurmountable. Maybe they could catch the Rays if the Rays just went ice cold. But um, you got the, the Yankees, Red Sox, and Blue Jays all there with, with good records. And... Um, Right now, it looks to be like the uh, Yankees and Red Sox are the two teams that are really duking it out for that first wild card, and then uh, the Red Sox are going to have to hold on for that second that second spot, which you know they've got a pretty comfortable lead on that right now. Yeah, the thing to watch out for with Boston, especially over this next couple of weeks, is that they've um, they've recently started battling with the a, a bout of COVID through the organization, um, and I think they're down. I think I saw today it was eight eight people and seven of them have been players um, that they're getting ready to get down. Um, and actually just today, Xander Bogarts left the game with a positive test. So it's going to be a big shot for them. Um, you know, Toronto's right behind them in this division. They've had their own little battles um, this week. They ended up DFA and Brad hand who they just acquired less than a month ago at the trade deadline. Um, he had been terrible. I think something like a seven thirty two ERA for him. Um, so they DFA'd him. He's out for there. They did get George Springer back, I believe, yesterday. We had talked how big of an impact he had had on that lineup before. Um, and then he went back out. He's back healthy again. Seems like Vlad Guerrero is starting to hit um, like he was earlier in the year. He had a little bit of a struggle patch there in a little bit. Uh, but one of the feel-good stories for the, uh, you know, for the Toronto Blue Jays, we've talked about him a lot throughout the year, but that's Robbie Ray. He actually... Um, set the MLB record for most strikeouts through 1,000 innings um, with 1,241 uh, past you Darvish, who had 1,222 previously. Yeah, Robbie Ray is such an interesting pitcher. He He's had a couple years where he looked pretty elite. Uh, you know, 2017, 162 innings, a 289 ERA, uh, which was really solid. Uh, you know, a year after that, he had a, you know, a 393 ERA, but... 
he's a guy who everyone's always been puzzled as to how he's not better than he is. And uh, you look at a lot of it being walks being an issue. I mean, 2018, 12 strikeouts per nine, but five walks per nine. 2019, four and a half walks per nine. Last year in the shortened season, and, and in a season also in which he was traded, he had a 7.8 walks per nine, which was insanely bad. But this year, he's cut down by over a full walk per nine innings, his walk rate to the, the lowest of his career, 2.2. Um, and he's kept his strikeouts up, too. So, you know, this is a situation where Robbie Ray finally starting to show a little bit of that uh, that control that, you know, he that is, you know, he's lacked his entire career. And if that comes, look out, because, you know, with those strikeouts, I mean, that's, you know, he's looking pretty impressive if his control can remain where it has been this year. And, um, you know, you look at him this year, 271 ERA. Um, his peripherals don't quite back up 271, but they back up a low threes ERA. 3.4 wins above replacement. He's been durable. Um, it, you know, assuming that he's healthy for the next few weeks, you know, probably three or four starts from now, he will have eclipsed his career high in innings pitch this year. Um, and he's been much more efficient. And, um, you know, he's having a, you know, he's having a career year right now. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, there's no reason to believe that, you know, maybe he can continue what he's done this year, you know, into, into 2022. And, you know, what a great signing by Toronto before the season. Cause I was questioning it when that happened. Yeah. And he, he, uh, he's always been one of the most frustrating pitchers to, to watch. Um, you know, I watched a lot of him when he was with Arizona and there'd be games where he'd come out and in five innings, he'd strike out 11 people, but then he'd have four walks or five walks in that, you know, that time span. And when you said when he's on, he's, he's virtually unhittable. I mean, that the stuff is that good. Um, and he's been able to find that command in Toronto, which is, which is really, really exciting because one of the most electrifying pitchers to watch when he's, uh, when he's on. So, yeah. And you know, when you talk about one, one other point on the, on the blue Jays, they have the top two players in baseball of wins above replacement this year. in, in at least in, uh, in, uh, batter for batters. So, you know, the fact that they're in sitting there in fourth place right now, although they do have a good record, probably the best fourth place team I've ever seen. <laughs> um, you know, it's pretty remarkable that they are as good as they are, you know, and, and with some of these players and aren't, you know, at least in the wild card. I mean, they're still in the hunt for it, but they're not in the wild card. And that's not even to mention a couple other really good players like Bo Bichette. And, and of course, Springer has been injured a lot, but he's, he's also there. So, um, you know, Marcus Simeon and Vlad Jr. are probably my front two guys in the, uh, you know, in the uh, MVP voting for the American League outside of Otani, who obviously I think is right now number one. But, um, you know, it's pretty crazy to me that, uh, you know, with Vlad Jr., Simeon, Bichette, those three guys putting up with the seasons that they've put up. And uh, a pitching staff that's really not all that bad because, I mean, like we just talked about Robbie Ray and they've got Hyunjin Ryu. I mean, they've got a couple of pretty good pitchers there, and then you know they've got some some depth pieces in that rotation too. Uh, Manoa has been pretty good this year. It's hard to believe that this team's not you know better than they are. So um, I guess with the Red Sox COVID issues, they're four and a half behind the Red Sox. They could maybe catch the Red Sox are um, already. Obviously, they're just a couple games behind the A's, so that's definitely attainable. 
but um, they could still make the playoffs, but it's going to be really tough for them, and they're going to need all hands on deck and all those guys to be healthy. But uh, really disappointing that you know a team that has the two top players and wins above replacement for hitters in the league, and then as we talked about, have a couple other good, really good guys, and you know as we talked about, have those uh, a couple nice starting pitchers too. Um, kind of hard to believe that they're not, you know they're not like a, at least a wild card team. So, yeah, I mean, I think we both had them. I think you had them finish in second in the division. I had them third in the division, you know, preseason. So it's definitely been a, a disappointing year for what we had, uh, you know, thought of the blue Jays, but who knows that, like you said, they could still make a run at the playoffs. Um, it, it will be tough, but it's still a, a, an attainable mark for them. No doubt. But let's go ahead and move over to the AL central. This one won't nearly be as long as the AL East because the Chicago White Sox still have a 10-game lead in this division. Um, nobody's going to catch them. Um, you know, pretty much for the White Sox, it's just get ready for the postseason. Um, what they can do is try and figure out what the heck happened to Craig Kimbrell. Yeah, um, so the White Sox are, you know, obviously by far the best team in, in this division. Uh, you know, obviously the other team sold at the trade deadline. Um, I do want to, you know, continue to shout out the Tigers because their record's a lot better than a lot of people expected it to be this year. Uh, you know, they're eight games under 500, but, you know, this is a team you're thinking will maybe lose 100 games. And um, they've had some good good performances from some of their young pitching stepping up, like uh, Tariq Skubal, uh, Casey Mize, a couple of their young guys. Matt Manning has been called up. He hadn't pitched all that well at the big leagues, but he's, you know, started to, started to at least, uh, you know, get his feet wet. Uh you know, they've had the, the Miguel Cabrera chase for, you know, 500 home runs. It's been interesting. They've been an interesting team. Um, you know, some, some fun performers like, like Akil Badu. Um, so you look at the you look at the Tigers as a team that, you know, I really like what they've done this year. And um, with that farm system that they've got right now, um, I feel like they've got a chance to start to, you know, take the next step here in the next couple of years, assuming that they're able to continue building you know, off of what they have right now. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I like, I like what they've done. So you look at, uh, and you look at the twins, they sold at the deadline, such a disappointing year for them. The Royals are kind of exactly what you expected that they would be. <laughs> um, they did, did a little bit to stay kind of competitive, but they definitely didn't do enough to actually be good. So, I mean, they're kind of where you expected and, uh, and then Cleveland is right in that, you know, middle ground right now. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued by by the the four teams in this division outside the White Sox. And then you talk about Craig Kimbrell, and I mean, it's just unfortunate that, um, you know, unfortunate that he hadn't been as good with the White Sox. But I don't think, you know, I, I don't know. I don't I don't know what the deal with Kimbrell is. I know that there, there's been a lot of talk that he doesn't like pitching in non-save situations. I mean, my opinion's always been suck it up but um for whatever reason he just struggled badly in that situation so uh we'll see what happens with Kimbrel. um i'm sure he'll probably get going again it's probably just a little blip on the radar but for a guy who's been as inconsistent as he has been the last few years you know although he's been so good this year uh it is a little worrisome for the white Sox. yeah it definitely is especially being their big prize at the deadline you know they really wanted to create that dynamic bullpen with Kopech, Crochet, Bummer, um, Tapera, Kimbrel, and and uh, 
Liam Hendricks. And I mean, they haven't been able to, you know, get up, get that ball to Liam Hendricks with the lead at the end of the game because of the struggles Craig, Craig Kimbrell has had. Um, but like you said, I expect him to turn around at some point and, and get it going. It, it is interesting though, that the, his stats between non-save situations and save situations, the, disparity that there actually is in those numbers although they are small sample sizes especially this year um it's uh it's really surprising but like you said good uh good year for the tigers i mean i didn't expect them to be nearly this good um i think i had them even finishing the worst in this division um yeah i had them last in the division i think we both had them last in the division actually um, so good year for them. I think they've started to see a little bit of those, you know, young pitchers like you talked about. They're developing right into good major league pitchers. Um, I think they found something that they like in Jonathan Scope as a, as a, you know, a veteran presence for a lot of their younger guys. So it's going to be interesting to see what they can do this offseason if they're if they're going to try and progress to be more of like close to a 500 team um, this next year. I expect Minnesota to make some bigger moves this year, this offseason, um, probably go into more of a, a rebuild mode than anything. Um, and then Kansas City is right there with them. But. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, this is will be an interesting month in this division to kind of look and see, you know, what, what things are going to look like for the future because you're going to have some, although the, the rosters are limited for September now, you are going to have a few September call-ups. You know, you could maybe see a couple of the Tigers pitching prospects outside of uh, Mize and Scooball. Uh, Matt Manning, you could see a couple come up. Um, it'll be interesting to see what, what they do. Um, you know, maybe a guy like Nolan Jones for the Indians or something. But um, I think you look at that those, those four teams there, and I think there's a lot to be said. You know, the rest of the year, a lot of development time to happen. And um, obviously... When it comes to this division, outside of the White Sox, where are they going to be seated in the playoffs? Are they going to be the, you know, the number two, number three, number one? Where are they going to be? I think that's a really important finish out for, for a couple of those other teams because um, just to, for development time, see where they stand going to the future because outside of Chicago, this division is going to be wide open and, uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen. So, Absolutely. Let's jump over to the AL West, um, where we got Houston now leading this division. They've pulled away to a six-game lead um, over the Oakland A's, with Seattle not far behind Oakland, only two and a half back of them, and eight and a half back in the division. Yeah, so um, I think that this division is going to belong to the Astros. They've, I mean, I just think they're the best team, uh, you know, all around bullpen, pitch, starting pitching, and obviously that filthy lineup they have. Um, but you know. Really interesting battle for second place. Um, the Mariners are way better than we thought they would be this year. <laughs> um, the, the A's are pretty good, and um, it'll be very interesting to see who gets that second spot. And, and, you know, depending on what the Red Sox do, like we were talking about with their COVID issues, and, um, you know, they have, I think, seven players in the COVID protocol right now, including, you know, two, two or three starters um, in that lineup. So, you look at that and you know maybe they go in a maybe they get cold for a couple games and if they do i mean you know both oakland and seattle are kind of lurking so um we'll see what happens with that um you know just i'm just so impressed with what seattle's done this year with you know a lot of guys that like we talked about last week we talked about ty france a lot um i mean 
it's just a team that has a lot of guys who weren't especially highly thought of that have turned into special special talent for them and uh they've got a great farm system as well you talk about kellenic just came up this year they also got um julio rodriguez the um you know the outfielder that that'll be coming up in the next year or two um, a few of those pitchers, Emerson Hancock, uh, Logan Gilbert, who's pitched some at the big league level this year, both top 100 prospects. I mean, there's a lot to be, there's a lot to like about the Mariners' future, especially with the job that they've done this year. So, um, very, very nice there. Although I think the, I think the final standings will end up being the the order they're in now. At, at to be honest, at the end of the season. So, yeah, I think it's it's going to be an exciting off season um, for Seattle, you know, barring whatever happens with the CBA and if we actually get a, a normal off season. But with them showing as much you know promise as they have this year, they're probably going to be one of the most fun teams to watch because we know that if Jerry Depoto sees an area that he wants to improve and that will help the team, he'll absolutely make it. Um, you know, he's notorious for making you know, close to. 15 trades almost every offseason no matter how big or small he's he's a wheeler dealer and he's a guy who's not afraid to make a big move um you know he was the angels general manager for a long time when they made a lot of their big moves um although they didn't work out but the point being that he will make the move if he sees it necessary and like, aggressive yeah. yeah and this seattle team is is set up for that um you know if they can get another good starter in there add another piece to that lineup like you said they're going to get julio rodriguez soon um you mentioned logan gilbert who's up now emerson hancock should come up you know maybe not next year but maybe the year after that um george kirby is another one you didn't even mention i he could probably be up next year no, as well no lv Marte. no lv Marte could he looks like a stud shortstop prospect although i think he's still only like 19 maybe yeah, 20. he's a few years these guys are a few years away but they've just yeah. got so much prospect capital right now whether that ends up being at the big league level or you know trade capital right and so that um, they just got so much right now and i think that that's important to look at because you know it, whether it's next year or two years from now i mean this is a seattle team that right now is eight games above 500 with the current roster i mean just trickling in some of these young talented guys getting them a little bit of um you know getting them a little bit of seasoning at the big league level and then two years from now i mean i think a lot of their team's gonna still be around i mean they've gotten some young guys already people forget last year the rookie of the year came out of seattle and kyle lewis so um you know, he's not even nobody, playing right now. Yeah, nobody even talks about him. He's not playing right now. So, um, you know, there's a lot of talent there. Um, so it's just one of those situations that I think you look at um, a team that in the future, I mean, they're going to be the next team in this division, I think, because Houston, Houston's been really good this year, but they also are losing more players. I mean, you know, Correa is going to be gone soon. Altuve's aging a little bit. Um I've got some good young guys too, like uh, Jordan Alvarez, Kyle Tucker, but I mean, it's they're not a, they're not a, you know, incredibly, uh, they're not an incredibly young team, and, and they're pitching too. I mean, they're gonna lose Grinky. I mean, um, you know, Verlander. We don't know if he's gonna come back, you know, from from Tommy John, if it, and if he does, we don't know if it'll be with Houston. So, um, you know, I, I think, and obviously they've been good at the on the on the mound this year, anyways, without Verlander, but still. You know you're gonna lose a pretty good bit, and I think that the Mariners are gonna keep getting better. And um, he, and Oakland, is, I don't I don't know if Oakland's really gonna get better, but they're already pretty good. And I think they're gonna, I think Oakland's gonna be about what they are this year every single year. They're gonna be pretty good, not like 
dominant, but good. So yeah, they'll just find a way. Uh, but I absolutely agree. I think the Mariners are the the kind of the team, the future of this division to to watch for. Yeah, and, and one other note in this division, there's been a lot of talk this week that, you know, obviously the Angels are out of it. They're 13 games back at the division. At least, uh, I think they're like eight or nine games out of the wild cards. So they're out of it, but um, a lot of that having been due to injuries this year. But uh, talk, there's talk that Mike Trout probably doesn't come back this year. They're just going to go ahead and shut him down since they're out of it. So um, that's just another um, another thing that, uh, you know, to bring up. Cause sounds like the best player in baseball at least, you know, most people's opinion. I guess there's some people who are going to, you know, give that crown to Otani now. But um, I think Trout, um, you know, Trout's not going to be back for them this year. And, uh, you know, hopefully he'll be fully healthy and ready to go next year. So, Yeah, hopefully. But let's jump over to the NL East now where we got the Atlanta Braves leading this division by three and a half games over the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, and with the Mets' recent slide, they're now back to six and a half back in this division. Yeah, so this division, I think, is outside of maybe the the, pin, the chase in the NL West. I think this is the most interesting division in baseball. You've got the Braves, who took advantage of a, a weak schedule for, for a few weeks and won a lot of baseball games in those couple weeks. Um, you know, they they've taken a they took a pretty commanding lead. It was up to five and a half at one point. But now they've hit the toughest part of their schedule. They had the Yankees last week, as we talked about. They had the Giants this past weekend. They have the Dodgers from yesterday through tomorrow. And then they have four against the Rockies in cores. So this is a Braves team that has hit a really difficult part of their schedule. And while that's the case, they still have a three-and-a-half game lead. But the Phillies have hit a super easy part of their schedule. They have Washington from yesterday, I think, through Wednesday. Then they have Miami this weekend. So... You know, it's very interesting to see how the, these two schedules, if the Braves have built enough of the lead when they had that weaker part of the schedule to survive this super difficult part, because, you know, pretty soon the Braves schedule does go back to being a little bit weaker again. They do still have more games against some of the bottom feeder teams like the Diamondbacks. Um, and, uh, you know, they got more games against the Marlins. And uh, But this division could very well come out of the last week where the Braves, Phillies, and Mets all play each other. The Mets are still six and a half back. I really don't think the Mets are going to catch up. But um, interestingly, uh, the Mets are making headlines regardless of being six and a half back and under 500 for other reasons this week. So um, one of the goofier stories of the year, I think. Yeah. So basically, um, the first sign of this was on um, August 6th, the game against the Phillies. Javier Baez hit a a single um, to left field. And then him and Francisco Lindor kind of gave a thumbs down signal. Um, and they've kind of been doing this. They were injured, but then as they've been coming back, they've both been doing this um, and kind of making it a team ritual. And I believe it was on Sunday. Was it when they first they asked about the last it? Last couple of days. I don't yeah, know which day. it was like Saturday or Sunday. They asked, <clears throat> excuse me, they asked Baez about it. And he pretty much said that it was a thumbs down to the fans that when they were booing the fans at that point because when they do bad, the fans boo them. So when the team does good, they want the fans to know that they're going to boo them back um, and pretty much say, like, you booed us when we did bad. Well, when we do good, we're going to should boo you guys because we don't care. Um, and obviously that pissed a lot of the fans off. Um, it, everybody it, off. it pissed the owners <laughs> off. It pissed the you know higher-ups in the team. A lot of the players still weren't even happy about it as well. 
I mean, I'm I'm not a big fan of it myself. I'll admit it. I don't think it's a good look at all either. Like the fans, they are invested in a team and they have a, a, an emotional connection to that team. And they want you to know like, hey, you're doing bad. Like we're going to, you know, we're going to let you know about it. If you do bad at your job, does somebody let you know that you're doing bad about it? Most of the time, yeah. Um, this is just on a bigger stage. Uh, and especially for a guy like we know New York is is even tougher than most places in media world, probably the, the, the toughest, um, you know, to be making waves like that and started. It wasn't he hadn't even been there for a week when he started doing this. Um, I just I don't think it's a good look for Javi Baez um, and even for Francisco Lindor, who's, you know, for Lindor, or Baez can leave at the end of the year. Lindor's locked in for 10 years um, and he was a part of this, too. So. Yeah, so so here's the deal. Um, I have a couple opinions on on this. The fr- my first opinion is that I think that the the fans in in New York and and Philly and in different places. I think most notoriously in New York and Philly, with both the American and National League teams in New York, but um, they're notoriously bad about booing the team if they do anything wrong. Like if they mess up at all, they have one bad game. I mean, you could they could be on a 15 game winning streak. And if they have one game where they lose, they're going to boo the team. I mean, that's just the way it is. And, you know, I don't especially like that. I've never been a fan of just booing all the players. But at the same time, as a player, if you're, you know, Baez or Lindor, and of course, I've never been in this situation. So I don't, you know, I, obviously I, I don't know what it's like to be booed when you go up to the plate, as, at a, you know, as a home, home team. But, um, you know, I think it's pretty, pretty, soft of them to, to act this way. And I mean, just doing the little thumbs down thing, nobody would have known about it. He didn't have to come out and say, Oh, it's a, it's because the fans are being mean to it. No, you don't have to come out and say that you can do it. It could be a private joke between you and Lindor and whoever else was involved in it. But, um, you could just say it's some goofy little thing we've been doing. I don't know. But anyways, I think it's, you know, pretty crazy that, you know, uh, uh, most successful players, who have been in this situation have said, yeah, I played like crap. I deserve to get booed. Like I'm going to try to play better. And I think at the same time, you know, these fans booing, you know, obviously the players want to play better, want to play well more than anybody in the crowd wants them to play well. Like, but at the same time, like it just feels like a cop out and an excuse for playing bad. And it sounds like you're worried more about what the fans think than about playing better. I mean, you look at Javi Baez, this is a guy with a sub, I think a sub 90 WRC plus over his last 1000 plate appearances. And he thinks he's a superstar. Like he's asking for $200 million. He thinks he's a superstar and he's been one of the worst hitters, you know, in, in the, I won't say one of the worst hitters, but he's been a very below average hitter. Although he's still very good defensively, you know, over the past year. I mean, he's not, he's not that good. Like he's okay. And when you watch him swing at a pitch that hits the ground, you know, 30 feet in front of the plate. I mean, I understand the fans being upset about that. Obviously they should have known what they were gotten into. Cause it's well known how poor Javi Baez is at, you know, recognizing pitches. And, um, I think it's just an over aggressive approach as much as anything, but, um, you know, if you're Lindor, you just signed with this team for what, $330 million. And, you know, you, they traded a lot to get you. You signed, you signed this enormous extension, and you've got, what, a 670 OPS? 
Like, I mean, I don't, you know, like I say, I don't condone fans booing, but at the same time, these players need to sit there and think, you know, maybe if I played better, the fans wouldn't hate me. The fans wouldn't, you know, I don't think they're pulling against them. I think they're just frustrated. I think it means that they care a lot and they're frustrated. So I don't, you know, I, like I say, I don't, I don't believe in booing the players. You know, I've been to a lot of sporting events. I've been to sporting events where the home, home players got booed for performing badly. But, you know, at the same time, if you're a player, you can't re, you can't react to that in a passive aggressive way and then come out in your press conference and talk about how the fans are bad. I mean, it's, it's put up or shut up. So, um, I mean, I think if you look at you look at these guys, I mean, you're not you're Javi Baez. You're not a somebody who's just going to be revered in New York for winning a World Series in Chicago like he was in Chicago. He's revered only because he won a World Series and was, you know, it makes some highlight plays sometimes. I mean, he, he's not, you know, he's not a superstar player, so he's he can't act like he's going to be treated like one. And if you're, you know, Lindor. You know, it's the same way. I mean, you were a superstar in Cleveland. You're not playing like one this year. You're not going to be treated like one. You haven't been – you have never done anything, you know, real successful for the Mets other than create a lot of hype before the season. So, um, you know, I think it's a situation where – I hate saying that about these guys, but I think they will improve. I think especially Lindor. I think he'll end up being really good but for the Mets. But, um, I mean, you can't just sit there and, you know, do that. Like, I think it's – you know, I don't know. I think it's just a – it's a salt. It's a bad look. It's really a bad look. It it really is a bad look, and I've never been one to boo players either. Um, I mean, I'm not a big fan of booing the players myself, but I understand why other people do. But what I mean, this is just going to set up. It's going to be either really good or really bad for this team now, um, because either the either Baez and Lindor are going to go absolutely insane this next month, and they're going to make some sort of like holy moly run. Um, or they're going to, you know, be terrible, and it, the booing's just going to intensify. Like today, we saw it when Baez went up; he was showered with boos, and then late in the game, they were chanting his name, and he got a, you know, an RBI single, and then scored the winning run from first base on a, a single to left field, you know, and then everyone's cheering. It's just, it, it's part of the passionate fan base, but at the same time, like, I think it's just putting more on yourself, like. Maybe that's what Javi wants. Maybe he wants the more attention on him, and, and maybe that's so he'll play better or something. I don't know, but they like they should have made it some sort of like inside joke and just said like, "Oh, hey, we were doing it because of this or because of that or, or some reason." But you, you could have kept it private. You could have kept it in house about booing the fans, and nobody would have ever known. And you know, this wouldn't even be a talking point at this point. But because they because they said that, you know, it. it Speaking of the New York media and Philly media and, or fans like that, you know, just the past couple of years, we've seen instances of it. Giancarlo Stanton, when he went there, he struggled mightily his first like 100 to 200 plate appearances, maybe his first year in New York. And they booed him so bad. And he came out and he was like, like, I absolutely deserve it. Like, I suck right now. Like, like, I'm not good. Like, they should absolutely be booing me. Bryce Harper in Philadelphia came out and he goes, dude, if I was a fan and I was sitting there and I saw that performance that I put out there tonight and what I have been doing, I'd be booing myself. Like I absolutely deserve to, to be booed. Kenley Jansen. I mean, even though I don't agree with, he's been really damn good. And he's been the closer for the Dodgers for, you know, many historic things that they've done. He was booed off the mound this year. And when he, after the game, he said, he's like, I hate being booed by the fans. Like, I don't want to be like, 
that I also have to improve. He's like, and all I'm going to do is I'm going to work so damn hard that I go help this team win a championship and give those fans something to cheer for. Like, that's all you would have had to do. That's instead the correct. Of, that's the correct response, not fire back at the fans with right. passive aggressive hand signals and insulting them and talking about how, you know, oh, you know, they should never be booing us. We're the best when you're, you know, sitting there swinging at pitches 30 feet in front of the plate. I mean, that, that's that's just my, you know, that's my opinion on it. I mean, fair or not fair, I get it. I, I mean, I get some people saying, oh, he's only been there a week. He doesn't deserve it. I mean, I don't, you know, I just think that, you know, doing something like that is really, you know, really not not a good thing. And then, you know, at the same time, I think, um, you know, I, th- I think the, the one thing that probably made it worse, too, was the Met, the Mets well, first off, the Mets owner coming out and talking about how the team sucked. That didn't. That didn't. Yeah. Um, that made the fans more like willing to, not that they weren't willing already, but more like, you know, on that train. They they bandwagoned off of what Steve Cohen said over online, which I think that's very inappropriate for an owner to go online and start tweeting about how his team sucks and he doesn't understand how they could be so bad. And but the, um, but you look at the. Um, the, the 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 president have you know coming out talking about having a team meeting and then the players immediately apologize after that like it's obviously a cop out apology they don't actually believe the apology they they basically said sorry if you got offended which I mean I don't know I, you know I just think it's you know if you're the pl- if you're these players I think you should be you know you should just use it you should just ignore it and just start playing better so you know I think that's the end of the day. That's the case, but uh, enough. Uh, I think we've talked enough about the uh, the Mets here. Yeah. Um, six and a half back. You look at the other two in this division. The the Marlins keep wasting good pitching performances, which I think we kind of expected. Um, and the Nationals trying to play spoiler. They have several games left against some of the you know the top three teams in this division. So um, you know they might come out. They've still got enough talent to come out and maybe win a series against one of these teams. They still got Soto and. Um, you know, Josiah Gray's pitched decently well for them since coming over. Calvert Ruiz has, you know, got called back up. Uh, you know, they'd like to see what those guys have to offer for them, um, the young prospects, and um, we'll see what the we'll see what the Nationals end up doing uh, rest of the season. But this division is definitely between the Braves and Phillies, and maybe the Mets if they have a huge run in them. But uh, you know, Braves Phillies, it's gonna be really interesting, and they play in the last week of the season. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they, what, what happens there and, uh, you know, who's able to come out on top in this division. Gonna be an interesting one for sure. Um, we'll look over at the NL central now where this division race is pretty much all but over. Um, not as interesting as either one of the other NL divisions. Uh, but Milwaukee's got a nine and a half game lead over the Cincinnati Reds who are right as of right now, the Cincinnati Reds are the second wildcard team over the San Diego Padres, um, albeit only by a half a game right now. Yeah, the, the Brewers, uh, you know, they've rode that pitching. And um, honestly, I mean, their offense has been a lot better than I think anybody thought they were going to be. Um, and Willie Adamas being a, a large reason why he's been so good since coming over from Tampa, it's hard to explain how he's been how he's just changed his game so much since, since coming over from Tampa. But, um, you know, the Brewers are far enough out in front that they're, I think they pretty much locked up this division. Um, Cincinnati in second place, uh, you know, good offense, uh, pretty good starting pitching. And then that beleaguered bullpen, um, you know, they, 
they're a team that they've got to figure out a way to close out some games because, uh, you know, they're right there. And I think they ought to be the favorite to, to win that second wild card spot. But right now, because of their schedule, but they got to figure out ways to close the deal. And then uh, outside of that, I mean, the Cardinals, uh, you know, pretty good record for the Cardinals after, you know, a while looking like they were going to kind of fall off and fall back into below 500. But they're still, you know, I think they're what, three and a half, three games back of the wild card. So I guess they still got an outside chance. Um, of course, Chicago and, and uh, Pittsburgh are really bad. Chicago's had some interesting moments. They've had a couple games that were where both teams scored over like 12 runs over the past couple weeks. So that's been very interesting for the Cubs. But, uh, you know, both of those teams just looking at, you know, potential future pieces, um, you know, potential – um, you know, getting get looks at different guys, getting some guys, younger guys experience, that kind of thing. So um, they're definitely not uh, not exactly going to set the world on fire. Hey, look at the Pirates, six and four in their last ten. How about that? Hey, there you go. You got something to cheer about, huh? No, but, uh, you know, Milwaukee's kind of running away with – or has ran away with this division, I should say. But, you know, you said their offense has been really good, um, better than we expected. Christian Yelich has really quietly kind of turned it around a little bit. You know, his past month, he's hitting 308 with an 830 OPS. If you look at his last two weeks, he's hitting 347 with a 953 OPS. Um, you know, he's not still only a couple homers at that point, so he's not really hitting for the power still, but he's able to slug the ball. You know, he's still driving the ball for some doubles and some triples maybe. Um and if the Brewers are going to want to do anything in the playoffs, they need Yelich to be that type of a hitter. Um, it just adds another dynamic to that lineup um, that they've really missed for you know a couple years with him. Um, Cincinnati, they've, I mean, they've surprised the heck out of me. I didn't think, especially with all the offseason moves that they did, that they'd be anywhere close to a, you know, a, a wild card spot, let alone leading it over a team like the Padres. Um, it's going to be really exciting to see what they can do. You know, they're like you said, that bullpen's really, really bad. They're going to have to figure something out for that um, down this stretch because it, they're going to need it um, throughout this, you know, this last month. St. Louis, they do still do have an outside shot as of sitting right now. They're two and a half out of the wild card. Um, you know, Wainwright's been amazing. They've got Flaherty back now. It's just they're going to quietly do their thing. And they're, you know, they're going to need some luck to break their way to jump Cincinnati and, um, you know, and San Diego. Yeah, but. you look at the, you look at the Cardinals, and uh, you know, I think they're, they have some issues outside of what we thought their issues were. Um, I mean, their bullpen has been bad lately, and especially Alex Reyes, and you know, it's really a regression to the mean because I know he was an All Star, but he, he was flirting with disaster. You know, every time he came out pitched on his way to being an all-star. And, uh, you know, yes, if you keep flirting with disaster, it's going to end up happening at some point. So, uh, you know, that's that's tough for them. Um, but uh, and you, you talk about the Reds, and, I mean, that's a team that you, you know, the, it's a lesson of a, that shortened season and small sample size last year. I mean, the Reds had some guys underperform last year who are – playing really well now i mean guys like joey Votto, uh nick castellanos after the first couple weeks last year underperformed most of the year those have been two of the best hitters in baseball jesse winker battled injury a lot last year he's had a great year um and then you got a couple of young guys at stevenson and india who have played 
extremely well. So it's just a lesson of, you know, maybe being patient with some players who are have a really good pedigree who just had rough years, you know, and uh, they bounce back. And they still do have some of that pitching staff intact. In I mean, they, they still have Castillo, who after a disastrous start has been pretty good since then. And, uh, you know, and, and to go along with Sonny Gray, who's, who's good and, um, you know, Tyler Molly, Vladimir Gutierrez have both been good. Wade Miley's been incredible this year. So um, it's just a matter. They just need to figure out the. Uh, they just need to figure out that uh, that bullpen, and they would be. You know, they probably could have made a couple more moves at the deadline to figure that out. But um, you know, they they've got some guys with a little bit of potential back there. They just haven't been able to capitalize on it. So absolutely, if only they had a guy like Rysel Iglesias this year. Yeah, that was a really bad trade. I, I didn't understand it before yeah. the seat, before when it happened, and I still don't understand it. So, yeah, neither do I. But let's jump over to the NL West, um, where we got San Francisco Giants still leading this division, uh, game and a half over the LA Dodgers. Um, it's really a two two headed horse race now. You know, San Diego's falling back to fourteen and a half games um, out of this division, and um, like I mentioned earlier, a half game out of that wild card spot. Yeah, um, this has been a really fun season, a really fun chase. You know, you got the, the Giants, who such an underdog this season, and I don't think too many people expected them to finish above 500. And uh, as, as we sit now, we're going into September. They got the best record in baseball. And, I mean, they're a shoe-in for the playoffs, regardless of whether they win the division or not. Uh, they might not even have to win another game this year, and they could make the playoffs. Uh, you know, so... You got the Giants and, the, and then the Dodgers, you know, obviously the favorite coming in. They've dealt with some stuff, uh, some guys that have not played. Um, you know, they've had legal issues with Trevor Bauer. They've had some injuries off and on with Bellinger, Seager missing time, Betts missed some time, Kershaw's out right now, um, among others. And, um, you know, they're sitting there, and obviously with their depth that they have accrued over the past few years, they're still sitting there with that, you know, really good record in a perfect position to to pounce on the Giants. But, um, you know, this weekend they'll play three games. And, you know, I think whoever wins that series is going to have the leg up on on this division. Although the Giants do have a game and a half lead right now, you know, I think that, you know, if the Giants win three this weekend and, you know, it could go up four and a half or five or something, depending on what happens in tonight and tomorrow's games, uh, I think the Giants end up probably holding on. But I really believe the Dodgers are going to are going to come back and take take this division. Um, their schedule sets up a little bit better than the Giants, and uh, you know I think they're I think they're just a more talented team. Although the Giants have done such a good job this year, and look at the Padres. I mean, it's just been a nightmare for them, a collapse. Um, you know, pitching injuries have hurt. Uh, pitching underperformance has hurt. Um, you know, their their lineup. I mean. You know, Fernando Tatis Jr. still hit some home runs, but he's gone fairly cold. Not ice cold, but he hadn't been near as good as he was for most of the first half of the year. He's battled injuries as well. Um, you know, you just you don't know what to do with Eric Hosmer. The bullpen's struggling at times. I mean, you know, they're starting Jake Arrieta in games. And in 2021, if you start Jake Arrieta in games, it's a recipe for disaster. So, um you know, the Padres are just going to have to figure out a way to hold on. And they've got a lot of games left against good teams. So they, they've they got to figure out a way to somehow win some of those games and, you know, keep pace with the Reds. Um, and then the other two teams, I was I was talking earlier with, with you, Damian, about the Rockies. And I was shocked to see that their record was as good as it was. A little bit like the Tigers. I mean, 
60 and 71 for this team, really? <laughs> but I guess, uh, you know, their pitching staff's better than people give it credit for. You look at Herman Marquez, Kyle Freeland's been good this year. Uh, John Gray's been good this year. Sensatella's got, has his moments where he can be pretty good. Like their pitching staff, their starting pitching has not been that bad, especially for a Coors starting pitching rotation. So, um, you know, you add to that, their lineup's always going to be at least decent at Coors. And, you know, you get them that crazy good home record and crazy bad away record. But um, they've taken advantage of that home field advantage uh, at Coors. And, um, you know, their record's not all that bad. So No, and they just came off of, you know, I, I just watched this team this weekend because they just came off of actually beating the Dodgers in a series, two games. To, that was in L.A., wasn't it? Yeah, it was in L.A. Um you know, they've had a real breakout. Not many people have, have really noticed this guy, and he's kind of flown under the radar a lot, but Connor Joe um, is a guy who's had a fantastic season for them. He's batting 280 with an 837 OPS this year. Um, a ton of clutch hits for them. Um, he's played some first base and outfield. He's a guy that has really, really impressed me so far this year. Um, and like you said, the... I didn't know that they were only an 11 games under 500 team. Uh, I thought they were way worse than that, but you know, that, that home record is, is amazing. 43 and 22 at home. And then you look at that away record and you're like 17 and 49, like where that is just such a big difference. Like you would think they're probably in the middle of both of those records, which is sort of where they're at. And it's just, if they could find some way to just not be as terrible you know, at on the road, like this team could, they could make some noise. I mean, they really aren't as bad as what people thought they were. Yeah. And, you know, it's also one thing that you talk about the Rockies and that, and that advantage at Coors, they see the, the ball travels differently at Coors, not only on the, uh, you know, when you hit it, but, but also, on, you know, when you pitch it, it, the ball breaks differently, you know, that the altitude can, play effects on that kind of thing too so it is difficult for a team like the rockies to go on the road um and see pitches that break differently than they do at home and then it's difficult for teams to go to course field because the pitches break differently and they you know they miss them and they miss hit them and whatever because they're just different and i think that's a situation that you're seeing this year where you have a team that you know has enough their hitters are good enough to punish you you know when but but they're teams struggle you know that they're just they're they're more used to the course they're more used to that environment and, the, and that that altitude and i think it helps them win home games whereas you know i probably lean to their away record being closer i mean i don't think they're a 17 and 49 team uh but i think they're better than that regardless of where they're playing but i think that you know that road record is probably a little more indicative of their team i think that they're probably more of like a you know 20 games below 500 team, probably a 90 loss team type thing, 95 loss team. But, um, but still, I mean, the, the Rockies have been so impressive to, to be at this record with the, the pieces that they lost and, um, you know, what that lineup looks like just name wise, but, uh, still 24 games back of the giants, uh, the, the ability to be that, that with that record in this division too, with those top two teams, how many times they've had to play them, uh, it's crazy, and then and then the, the Diamondbacks are there too, and I think they're just kind of trying to play spoiler. Um, they beat the Phillies, you know, one one game this weekend, which was kind of funny because they had beaten the Phillies four straight games this year, uh, 
which is really the difference in the NL East right now. So, you know, any team, a team like the Diamondbacks can certainly play spoiler uh, when they want to. So, Absolutely. Um, well, let's kind of, we didn't really mention it as through the breakdown, but, uh, you know, hit on the series that we had this past week. The Dodgers and the Padres played for three. Um, the Dodgers ended up sweeping those three in San Diego. Um, the Braves and Yankees, which you kind of heard Matt freaking out about at the end of the last episode, um, the Yankees ended up did sweeping that series. Uh, the Braves and the Giants in San Francisco, the Atlanta took two of the three for that. And then the Yankees and the A's over the weekend um, played a four-game series in Oakland and split that 2-2. Yeah, the, that Yankees-A uh, series, the Yankees had, had a, I believe it was a 14-game winning streak going into that series. And the fact that Oakland was able to take two of those four games was really impressive to me. So uh, that, that was really, uh, you know, an incredible job by the by the uh, A's to split that series and keep themselves in the race. Yeah, and then looking forward, um, you know, for this week, we got the Brewers and Giants uh, started a four-game series yesterday. The Brewers won the first game of that. Um, the Braves and the Dodgers started a three-game series yesterday in L.A. Um, the Dodgers won the first game of that, just barely. Um, Braves almost made a, a good comeback on that one. The Red Sox and the Rays for four. Um, I believe the Rays won the first game um, yesterday, and then they were leading this one at the time we were yeah, starting eight, recording this. It's eight to two last time I saw it late okay. in the game. So, and then uh, over the weekend we hit on the big one: the Giants and Dodgers for three in San Francisco. Last time they played each other this year, uh, and then we also got the Padres and the Astros for three, with the Padres fighting for that wild card spot. Um, so some big series, you know, that we had this past week, and then some big ones, you know that are going to gonna have playoff impact um, over the weekend for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested in, in this weekend with that Giants-Dodger series. I'm assuming that uh, Scherzer, since he's pitching tomorrow, won't be able to pitch in that series. But I'm a, I, right. would, I would think that Bueller could pitch Sunday, right? Yeah, it's going to be okay. – uh, I think it's, it's lining up bull, as – First one will be that bullpen game, right? Uh, I think or, it's going to be Price. Price. Yeah, I think so, it's going to be Price, Urias, Bueller. Pitched, yeah, Price hadn't pitched deep into games very often, so – it's more of a, I guess that would be kind of, a, I mean, Price is a starter, but he probably pitches like five innings or something or four innings yeah. and then turn over the pin. And, uh, so that'll be interesting. I think the Giants should probably have their, um, at least Logan Webb, I, I would assume, would be pitching one of the games because he pitched Saturday. So. Um, uh, no, he's pitching Thursday. Okay. So he's pitching uh, against the, the Brewers. Brewers. Huh? Okay. Yeah. They would have, uh, I guess, uh, well, maybe? I think Disclavani's on the IL. Um, I also think Wood's on the IL. Wood just went on the COVID IL. Gotcha. Um, they did get Cueto back. He was supposed to start yesterday, um, and, and yeah. he didn't. So I'm not exactly sure. I bet he starts. He um, start Gossman again. probably yeah. would start one. Gossman would probably start tomorrow. Yeah, which, pitched, would, which would make Friday him. Friday against Atlanta. So. Which would make him available. Yeah. Well, um, Friday, Saturday, Wednesday to Sunday, I, maybe. I, I doubt it. I doubt they pitch him on no. three days rest. But. Yeah, no, he probably wouldn't be able. I'm trying to find if Disclafani is on the IL real quick. He pitched against Atlanta, but he might have gone on the IL after that game. I mean, he got rocked against Atlanta, so I don't know if something was wrong, maybe. But um, either way, um, I do think that the pitching matchups probably favor the no. Dodgers, but it, it'll be an interesting series for sure. He is healthy. He's going to pitch on Friday. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I figured he would because he, he pitched. I mean, I didn't think there was anything wrong with his, you know, with his, with his arm or anything like injury-wise. He just got hit around a little bit, but 
Um, it'll be an interesting series this weekend. Um, and and as as will these others. Um, you know, the Padres have got to find a way to take a couple games against teams like the Astros. I mean, they they have such a tough schedule remaining. They got the Dodgers several more times. I think they still got six against the Dodgers, right? Yep, six against the Dodgers. Yep. I think they still so, have uh, the Giants for some too. Yep. I mean, they've got such a tough schedule in September. Um, they got four against the Braves. Um, you know, they've they yeah, played they division leaders all over the place. So. They got they got six against the Dodgers, seven against the Giants, um, yeah. four against the Braves. Oh no, sorry, they have. The- they have Does that include four, the five, game? Six, seven, eight, nine. They have ten against San Francisco. My bad. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that is yeah. including the, the suspended game. Okay, way. I didn't remember if it was going to be a three or four game series, and you know, and the suspended game. So it's a three game series and the suspended game. And yeah. So that's that's just going to be a t- such a tough stretch, and you know, the, with the Reds having games against the Cubs, games against the Pirates, games, you know, that, that's it's one of those things. I mean, uh, we'll see what happens. I'm I'm intrigued at least by. Um, by the uh, by this division, and uh, I think it's gonna be a fun chase to the end. And I think it's really disappointing. And I think MLB needs to work on their scheduling because I think this is the last time the Giants and the Dodgers played this weekend, right? Yeah, it is. So I mean, they would be really a lot more fun, at least for an outsider, for the Giants and the Dodgers to play the last week of the season with the with you know with the with the division on the line. So, um, but we're not gonna get to see that because of the scheduling. So. Um, but let's move on. Uh, last thing before we run out of time here. Uh, players of the week. Who was your hitter of the week this week, Damian? So I'm going to be a little bit biased here. Um, I try usually to avoid that, but I'm going to go with Will Smith, um, the good Will Smith, the catcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers this week. Um, just a, an amazing week. 500 um, you know, average, a 591 on base, an 1167 slugging, you know, four homers, six RBIs, five runs. And a lot of those RBIs and homers were in clutch, you know, clutch scenarios. He had a, a massive one against the uh, uh, against the Padres in that series to to give them a lead um, late in the game. I believe he hit another one earlier in one of the other games, uh, and then I think he hit one last night too, didn't he? I believe he did. Yeah, he it was like a second decker, which is hardly ever seen in Dodger Stadium. He hit one of those yesterday. Yeah. Um, it's easy to hit home runs when the opposing pitchers throw a 90 yeah. right down the middle like yeah freaking drew smiley was but uh, anyways <laughs> no the the good thing though is that it seems like smith has taken over the the catching share you know they've usually like to keep it about a 60 40 um between him and austin barnes and now i think this hot stretch and he's been really good defensively actually um they've kind of given more of the run to austin barnes now as kind of the starting catcher so maybe we'll see or Will Smith, sorry, we'll see less Austin Barnes um, in the playoffs, most likely. And of course, the the one thing about that too is that you know Austin Barnes being Kershaw's guy, that you probably with Kershaw being out, you're probably seeing less Austin Barnes from that, anyways. But um, but either way, um, let's move on to my player of the week, and I am going to pick Josh Donaldson. Um, he had a very good week, seven games played this week, uh, hit four home runs, hit 440 with a 533 on base. Uh, 1.04 slugging percentage, um, a 309 WRC plus, put up 0.8 wins above replacement. Um, just did a fantastic job. Um, you know, he's a guy who can still really, really play it. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe a guy who a team takes a chance on as a trade target from Minnesota in the offseason to, uh, you know, maybe Minnesota takes on some of that salary or maybe they can get a little bit of a, maybe get a 
mid-range prospect out of him or a bad bad contract swap type thing where you know you could still see Josh Donaldson come out and have some value although I think teams are going to be worried about that contract with um even though it's only a couple more years with his injury history especially you know the fact that he's injured a lot this year again so um and, and his age being a part of that as well so uh interesting stuff good good for Josh Donaldson uh I'm a always been a fan you know former brave he, he's he's actually an auburn tiger so um that was, was pretty cool to see him continue to have success at the big league level and uh you know really good week for him so um definitely pulling for him but uh who's your uh, who's your pitcher this week so i went with a little bit of an oddball on my pitcher this week i went with minnesota twins pitcher bailey ober um he's a guy i'll be completely honest i found out about from playing mlb the show um, being six, nine, he's a guy that you can get a lot of people out with. So when, uh, when I saw him, they got the calls up to the majors this year, made me a little bit more interested in him. Uh, he had a really good week this week, you know, 11 innings pitched, um, did give up nine hits, but only two runs, one walk, which has been a, you know, a big struggle for him. He's struggled with command a lot and 12 strikeouts. Um, you know, one of this did come against the Tigers, but the other one was against Boston who can still be a really good offensive team. Um, so a really solid week for Bailey Ober and a, a little bright sign for the Minnesota Twins. Yeah, that's uh, that's good stuff. Uh, Bailey Ober is a guy that you know I don't really think too many people pay too much attention to, but that's a very good, very good week for him. Um, and uh, you know, hope maybe he will can see him continue that. But uh, my pitcher I picked was uh, Ranger Suarez from the Phillies. He uh, he had two starts this week. Um, you know, a 150 ERA over 12 innings. Uh, nine strikeouts per nine, pretty good, pretty solid stuff there. Which obviously, uh, twelve innings pitched, twelve that's twelve strikeouts. Um, did a great job. Um, lefty, uh, he he was pitching out of the bullpen uh, for most of his career. Started the year pitching out of the bullpen, closed some games for the Phillies, and now with their issues in their rotation, he's become a starter. And uh, he's done a good job as a starter. He's got a you know <laughs> like his last two starts a one fifty ERA. Um, you know, really really solid job for Ranger Suarez and. Um, you know, maybe they've found something here. You know, it's possible that, you know, it's kind of a flash in the pan type thing too. But, um, you know, that's he's he was badly needed for Philly, and the fact that he's pitched as well as he has has been really really good for them. So, um, congrats to Ranger Suarez on his success, and uh, we'll see if he's able to keep up what he's been doing recently. Yeah, Ranger Suarez, fantastic story. Um, you know, he faced the Dodgers right as he was kind of, I think it was his third start out of the bullpen. Um, I think he kept him hitless for like the first four innings or something. And uh, he wasn't fully built up. And I think in the fifth inning, he started wearing down some and they ended up pulling him. But he has fantastic stuff. I think he's still developing that third pitch. But he uh, he's definitely shown flashes this year that he could be a, you know, a legit major league starter. Um, and it's just wild coming from the bullpen, going to closing and then, them saying like you're too good to be a closer right now let's throw you into the rotation and then him just backing that up and being really good still um it's been pretty fascinating actually yeah no doubt um i do i do want to make a couple of really quick honorable mentions here of guys we could have picked uh we definitely could have picked robbie ray but since we were talking about him earlier um we decided not to but he had a great week too uh with 14 innings and a 193 ra over two starts so um, I just wanted to mention that he was definitely on our list. Uh, it probably normally would have been the pick, um, except for the fact that he um, 
you know, that, that we were talking about him so much with that strikeout milestone he had. And then also uh, also Sandy Alcantara, but we keep picking him. So uh, we decided to shy away from that. But he had a fantastic start again this week, which I believe he uh, – no, he did win that start. Did he? He won, he won that one start this week. He, but he only had one start, and, uh, even though it was seven innings with, uh, I believe, uh, what, 12, 13 strikeouts, one walk. like Something like that. Uh, no, one run. So um, – you know he he's just been really good lately so uh, we'll see what happens um interesting stuff to close this season out uh september is here and uh you know we're about to about to get into the you know we're definitely well within the stretch run and um you know we're about to find out who's gonna be the who's gonna rise to the top and uh make that make that postseason so very very interesting stuff and i'm excited for this remainder of the last month of the season you know 30 and and one month from now, we'll, we'll know who's in. So, absolutely, and I mean, I think during the active season, the regular season, and before, uh, you know, in, until it ends, this is probably our last division breakdown um, of the actual oh, year. No. Until after the, uh, you know, when the playoffs are getting ready to start, we'll run down it one more time. But uh, kind of a kind of a sad day for you know for our division breakdowns. But I'll leave a I'll leave it on one note. Unless you have anything else you want to say. Um. I think uh, I think everything. I think I'm good. Um, you know, I think it's uh, everyone needs to be excited, and uh, you know, I, I hope that the crowds are really good for this last. So, uh, really entertaining. Really, you got to be an entertaining month for, especially in the NL East and NL West. Uh, you know, maybe the maybe the AL East gets entertaining at the end. We'll see, but um, it'll be it's gonna be a fun month. All right. Well, to close this one out, what I'm gonna say is I'm gonna give us a thumbs down for the last division breakdown of the year <laughs> i'm gonna give that one gotcha gotcha so thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the bat flip podcast and uh we'll catch you guys next week thanks everybody